0: Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact.
1: This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Impact Makers podcast, where my goal is to share with you interesting conversations, resources, tips, and encouragement to build a career that you love and a life that matters. I hope you've been enjoying the conversations I've shared with people who are making an impact in our world as much as I have. Since we've started this podcast, it's become really clear to me that there are some truly fascinating people out there in the world that can really inspire me and you once they've been given an opportunity to share their journey. Today, you'll have the opportunity to get to know more about my friend, Sarah Morgan. Like quite a few of the impact makers in my life, I first met Sarah online through social media. I enjoyed reading her blog from time to time called The Buzz on HR, where she shared her thoughts and experiences as an HR manager in the hospitality industry and now as the senior director of HR at a company that sells and installs security systems. In our conversation today, Sarah shares how her writing evolved from starting out as an anonymous blogger because her employer didn't support her writing online to eventually coming out and adding her real name to her website after finding out that the CEO at her new job read her blog and liked it. But even though her writing efforts were supported by her new employer, over the next couple of years, she found herself posting online less and less frequently. Partly because of a busy work and personal life, but more because she didn't feel that she'd really found her voice. And that caused her to worry about how she was being perceived by others. And she also began to wonder whether her audience even enjoyed what she had to share through her writing. When she disclosed this to some of her close friends, they encouraged her to continue writing and also to consider doing a blogging challenge where writers joined together in a challenge to write about a certain topic for a period of time. That encouragement and Sarah's growing interest in writing about topics related to diversity and inclusion led her to create her own blogging challenge called Black Blogs Matter. Several other African-American bloggers accepted her challenge. And during Black History Month in February 2017, the original Black Blogs Matter challenge writers wrote posts for 28 days in a row on topics like blogging while black, dear white people, what woke means to me. We Love Our Black Fathers, Reverse Racism Isn't Real, The N-Word, and White Privilege So Fragile. Each blogger shared their own opinions and experiences related to the topic of the day, and while some of the posts were informative, some were also emotional, and some were controversial. But all of the posts were authentic, and the challenge provided a unique way for some new and different voices to be shared with others online. Following the success of the challenge in 2017 and with the encouragement of the blogging community and her audience, Sarah again embarked on the challenge in 2018, but with a twist. Instead of 28 days in a row of posts, the bloggers started again during Black History Month in February 2018, but they'll be writing one post each week for 15 weeks, and that will allow them to delve deeper into topics like colorism, cultural appropriation, White Fragility, and Black Consciousness. Now, you may have listened this far and thought that this conversation may not be of interest to you because you're not interested in human resources or blogging, or you're not a woman, or you're not a person of color. Or maybe you're all of those things and you still don't think that you're interested. But I'd encourage you to listen further. Personally, I've really appreciated reading of the many Black Blog Challenge posts. Some of them have challenged my thinking And others have opened my eyes to see situations and circumstances in a different way, a way that hasn't been available to me as a person who grew up in my circumstances, white, middle class, female, born in the United States, etc. Our conversation is about someone who is finding her voice and making an impact in a way that she never intended because she challenged herself, took action, and is speaking out about issues and topics that matter to her and to all of us. To me, Sarah is an impact maker, and I learned a lot more about what has shaped her life and her point of view. And she also shares some great advice on how we can all take personal responsibility to better understand and connect with people who may be different from us or who may have different life experiences than we have. And I think her message is extremely relevant in the world that we live in today. I hope you enjoy my conversation with impact maker Sarah Morgan, and we'll begin our conversation in less than a minute. One of the best things about the journey of making an impact in the world is the people that you meet along the way and seeing how they're creating impact. My friend, Laurie Ruderman is one of those people. She's a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who is setting out to fix work. In her podcast called Let's Fix Work, she's tackling why work is often so miserable for many people and what we can all do to fix it. Here's some of what she's talking about. During the past 10 years, I've developed a huge network of friends and colleagues. These are people who are passionate about fixing work. They have big ideas. They're authors, speakers, consultants, and even HR ladies who want to help workers find purpose and meaning. So I'm starting a podcast to interview my friends who want to fix work. I love the Let's Fix Work podcast, and I think you will too. Check it out and subscribe over at letsfixwork.com. Welcome, Sarah Morgan, to the Impact Makers podcast today.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and and to do this conversation. This is going to be great.
1: Well, I'm so honored that you agreed to join me today to talk about some of the things that um, I'm interested in that you're doing, but also I just want to learn a little bit more about you. So I usually start with kind of getting people to um, take me back as far as you want to go. You can go back to uh, when you were a wee small child or, or uh, at some point in your life where you kind of um, started to become into yourself and, and become who you are today. So tell me a little bit about Sarah Morgan.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Sarah Morgan was born in New Jersey. Um, I grew up in a town called Irvington, which is just outside of North New Jersey. So North Jersey and outside of New York city. Um, I was public school educated and then Catholic school educated and then went to, um, university of Richmond in Virginia. I had had enough of a fast paced Northern life and decided I wanted to go South for, um, so much so that I didn't even apply anywhere in state. I knew that I was either going south or I was going further north. So everything that I applied for was like Massachusetts, and I think the closest thing I applied to um, at home was like Yale. Like I was, I was out. Like I just get way. out <laughs> out of here. So, um, but I ended up being accepted at the University of Richmond. I graduated from there in two thousand. Um, started working almost immediately in the Human resources realm. I started out in light industrial staffing, working for a production plant um, as a on-site coordinator for a staffing company. 24-7, 365 days of, of nonstop temp employee and day labor drama, um, which was amazing. I learned so much. <laughs> But at like 21, 22 years old, the stuff that I was dealing with, like I, I just was so unprepared from a professional standpoint, but I learned a lot. I think I handled it well, made some really good friends and and some really good mentors that came out of that. And then I've stayed in uh in this space ever since then. I've done all manufacturing. I moved from manufacturing into fast food and retail. Um, and now I work for an ADT home securities dealer, Safe Street USA. We are um, the largest and number one um, ADT home securities dealer in the world. So the company I work for sells and installs home security systems for residential and small businesses. And I've been here for about four years now. Um, I have a team of 15 across four departments that we handle everything from compliance. Um, and by compliance our our installers are going into people's homes, so they have to be licensed and bonded mm-hmm. uh, and then and registered you know for electrical work and stuff like that in many of the states and then our benefits program employee relations and and talent and recruiting, so all told it's a twenty year career of of human resources and very high volume fast paced high turnover. And what a high drama! Never yeah. I have some of the greatest HR stories. I swear. Oh ever. wow! Um, so yeah. Some of it's, some of which cannot be published, right? <laughs> no, no, they're from my memoirs only. So, um, but yeah, some of the really, really great stories and just a lot of good learning.
1: Well, what do you think? Uh, you know, twenty years of human resources and in the trenches, literally, you're working with with that you know, very fast paced, um, you know, a lot of people issues, a lot of people coming and going in the types of industries that you've worked in. What do you, you know, can you distill that down to when you look at people and humans in general, maybe what are one or two things you've learned about working with people in the environments that you've worked with?
0: Yeah. People really just want to be understood and accepted. I don't think it matters who you are, what you do. I think that you want to work for an organization that you feel like values you and to work for a boss who you feel like values you and understands you and wants to see you succeed. If you can create environments that give that to people, people will stay loyal to you and they will work with you through all kinds of of changes and difficulties and challenges. Um, but when you can't give that to people, I think that's when when they give up on you and when they make the decision, you know, that I'm not going to engage and give my best um, to this situation and so I'm out, you know, um, that's where I, I think it, it comes from. So it, it's so important for us to focus on cultivating strong managers who understand how to relate to people, how to create a sense of, of fairness um, without sameness. And I think it's really hard <laughs> to do that. You know, it's it's a soft skill that we don't pay enough attention to. But if I could boil it all down into that, it's really about being a strong manager and making sure that people feel understood and valued and accepted um,
1: and given room to be creative and grow. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. But that that's it. Well, and that's what humans want all around the world and mm-hmm. and the reality is is that the human resources leader also is a human and I think sometimes the employees forget they that. They
0: forget that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah they do. Um, you know, you just I don't have all the answers. Like I'm, you know, sometimes I'm just figuring stuff out too and and I'm trying to balance what this employee needs alongside what the the organization needs and requires for that particular thing, and trying to make sure that I'm maintaining good relationships at the same time, and then, you know, trying to do it without losing my own cool, and yeah, I mean, none of that stuff is, is easy. Um, we talk about it in a way that makes it sound easy, and at the end of the day, I suppose it's simple but it's definitely not, you know, it's a simple concept, but it's not an easy thing to accomplish.
1: Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the way, um, you started writing. Um, I did. And and has your blog always been called The Buzz on HR?
0: Yeah, it has. Um, I started in 2011, which I can't even believe I'm come. It'll be seven years, May 1st, since oh I watched my blog. I know. I, mm-hmm. I can't even believe it's been that long. But um. I, when I at the time I was working for a retailer, we were doing a, um, a monthly newsletter that we were printing out. And I would go into our stores and they would just be scattered, you know, all over the floor and, or in the trash in the break room. And I'm like, this is a huge waste of money. Like we're, we're killing trees. We're printing this thing in color. Like it's just, let's find another way. And so I did this research on how we can take our newsletters online. And it led me to learn about WordPress and Stuff like that. And um, so I took it to my boss. I said, I think this is a really great idea. And I, you know, I think we should do it. It would save us a ton of money. And they were like, nah, we we don't want to do that. Um I was <laughs> so like, Well, ouch, you know, my little feelings was hurt. And um, but I said I it stuck with me. And I said, you know, I want this will be a great way for me to express some thoughts and things that I'm having about human resources and leadership on a wider scale. Maybe some people will read it or and at the very least, it'll be cathartic for me. And so I decided to start my blog. Um, I, the name, The Buzz on HR, is from my childhood nickname. My dad called me The buzz rooney because I was very nosy and mm-hmm. I was always buzzing around and in people's business. Um, and so when I first started out, Um, I told, told my boss about the fact that I wanted to start this blog and they were like, no, like you can't, you can't, (laughs) you can't do this. We can't have this affiliated, you know, with the company. What if you say something that offends, you know, someone and it blows back on us. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll write under a pen name and Buzz Rooney was born. Um, and so for the first man, two and a half, three years of my blog, I wrote under a pen name, um, and operated in the social media space as a completely different person which was so weird it, it felt inauthentic and otherworldly um to be doing that and I, like I felt like I had to whisper like my real name's Sarah you know like <laughs> <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing I met Ben Eubanks um who is a another blogger I know Jen you know him mm-hmm. and I met him at a conference that I was attending on behalf of work and the, like I just snuck up to him and was like, I'm the buzz. Like it was just, it was so, it just was so weird. And finally, when I left that job, and went to a new one. I had a conversation with our CEO, and I said, "Look, I, I write this blog." And he's like, "I know. I read it. I like it."
1: Oh, really? So Did he know I who like, you
0: were? Oh, I, he. I don't think so. It was on my resume, so I, th- I think he probably just clicked the link and and started reading it from there. He was like, "No, I, I like that. I don't have a problem with that at all." And I'm like, "Okay, great." So, at that point, I'm like, "There's no need for me to continue writing under a pen name." When I work for an employer who is not, you know, upset by the ideas of me writing. So I went ahead and retired it and started writing as my real name. Then I got married in 2016. And changed my name. So yeah, people I've had like a complete identity confusion
1: <laughs> for a while now. But well, like, I've managed to to keep track of you. So what kinds of things even back when you were first starting to blog and then that were you writing about and has that evolved over time? Has has it kind of changed for you what you're interested in writing about?
0: Yeah, when I first started, it was it was hardcore practitioner advice. I told a lot of, of stories, I changed names to protect the the not so innocent. Um, from being identified um, and just told stories and the practical lessons that you could take from that, from a management perspective, leadership perspective, human resources management perspective. Um, over time, that started to evolve to be more strategic advice. And um, now it's really I- evolved and and I've started my own blog challenge and I've really Dived heavy into this diversity and inclusion space, which was not a space I wanted to really um get into, but it found me. And now I'm I'm finding my voice in this space. And I've been running a, a blog challenge called Black Blogs Matter since 2017. And um it's continuing now. It's still going on, you know, as we're recording this. I've got about five weeks, I think, left in, in the challenge. We I do a weekly. Post on something related to diversity, inclusion, and, and um, the difficulties and challenges we have around that in organizations and as people. So um, it has definitely evolved. It's, it's hard for me at times to, to know where the buzz is going to take me um, mm-hmm. because I love writing. I love writing more than I love doing just about anything else. I would rather write than talk to people. I'm highly introverted. Mm -hmm. And I would rather write than talk to people. I would rather write than watch television. Like there's few things on earth that I would rather I could just sit in a room and write all day long and be completely content and satisfied with myself. And so it's hard for me to know what I want to do with that long term. And I'm kind of letting it take me on its own journey. And mm-hmm. I figure out at some point I'll figure it out and, and organize it in a way, you know, or,
1: or the journey just becomes part becomes of the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I want to talk more about um, black box matter, but you make, you said something that caught my ear when you said it found you. So the mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion point of view found you, how did, you know, what happened or how did you kind of go, Oh, wow, I need to start writing more about this. I think it started
0: for me back with Trayvon Martin. And um, when he was was murdered and the outrage and the outpouring that that happened at the time of the incident and then at the time of the verdict. And here I am as someone I'm a black woman. I'm in the human resources space. I am. Feeling all kinds of things, you know about this as a person and then how do I? Articulate that in my writing about human resources and, and leadership and management. They don't exactly, you know, go together and mesh So I was nervous about you know, what do I say anything? What do I say? And how do I say it in a way that doesn't completely cause my audience to abandon me? Um and I at that point i I didn't really feel like I trusted my audience to rock with me on on those in in that direction. I did it anyway, you know, and it it ended up being a pretty popular post for me, and I was like,
1: "hmm, okay." Well- what was the post about? First? Um
0: it was it was about just, you know, how to deal with that in the workplace, um and how to address people who are hurting, um and what are some some things you can do in your workplace to acknowledge that. I don't think organizations do enough to acknowledge what's going on in the world of current events in our workplaces. We act like people swipe their badge and come in the building and the news doesn't affect them or, you know, what has happened even in their personal lives somehow doesn't affect them. Like we swipe our badge and all that just stops. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if we're not taking a, taking those opportunities to acknowledge people when they're hurting, either because something has happened in in a global or community level or something has happened with them personally, we just, we're just failing. We're failing at being good, good people. Um, so, you know, that was what I wanted because I, I always try to make sure that whatever I'm talking about, I tie it back into how we can make work workplaces better, more practical, functioning, healthy places. And so that was, was that post and what I wrote about. And I was really surprised at how well received it was. And I, I started getting feedback like. No one else is talking about this stuff in in this kind of simplistic, practical way. Like, and and people wanting more of that. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. so that was really great. Um, so that started it. But then time moved on, and just more and more events, you know, continued to happen. And you have this struggle. And I and I think people of of color, I think Black people, right now, in in the midst of Black Lives Matter and that kind of stuff, we struggle with that balance of do I talk about this? Openly all the time, um, because then there there's the perception that you are are this angry person. Right. And, And nobody wants to be seen that way. But if I don't talk about it at all, then it comes across as though it doesn't impact me. And so there's a struggle. And I think a lot of people struggle with it as well, of how much of this do I engage in in social media, in my in my conversations with the people close to me. So I struggled with that and I struggled with it so much that I just stopped writing for probably like a good six months. You know, my blog went dark and um, I would come back and I would write a post. It was so weird because I would come back and I would write like these apologetic posts like, y'all, I'm so sorry. I stopped writing and then I would write like two, three posts and then I would go dark again. And I realized it was it was because I was changing and I was afraid that, you know, my audience wasn't going to to make this change with me and so i considered le- like stopping the buzz on hr and and writing something new i bought domain names and everything like i'm just i'm going to just pivot and go do something else and and but i kept being drawn back to the hr space cuz you know that's my home it's it's where i've lived and played for 20 years so ultimately um Sometime last year, I started talking with a couple of my my blog, my blog FFs, as I like to call them. I'll shout out Janine Truitt and Kirsten Greggs. And I started talking to them about, you know, all right, how, how do I get back in the game? Like, like, help me get, you know, get my focus and my mojo back. And Janine suggested um, doing a blog challenge. She had said that at a time she'd gone through writer's block. She'd done a blog challenge and it really helped her. You know, 30, like 30 days of writing straight will break you out of just about anything. She said, but it was cool because it, they give you the topics up front. So you know what you're going to be talking about. And then you just got to kick it out and it, it just will get you back in. It's like a boot camp, you know, for, for bloggers. So, um, I was like, all right, cool. So I started researching book, you know, these things, let me find me a blog channel. I found nothing like there was nothing that like, I don't want to write about this. And so Kirsten was like, well, what do you want to write about? Like, you can't, you don't want to write about none of this stuff. What do you want to write about? Like, well, just make your own then. Make your own 30-day challenge and do it that way. And so I went, you know, ding, you know, now the light bulb goes off. And and that's really where the Black Bogs Matter challenge came from. Mm -hmm. It was me not finding what I wanted to be writing about in the existing space and just decided I was going to create something of my own. And so I, you know, I put together a calendar and pushed it out there. I got commitment from, from some other folks, including the two of them and some other folks from Chris Fields. And then this year, Jasmine Wilkes and and Tamara Raspberry, you know, jumped on the bandwagon with me and said, yeah, we're going to write. And then there were folks like you and folks like Lori and um, Christina soft and, and, Aaron um, Aaron Miller and folks who just really committed, Tammy Colson, who just committed to amplifying that signal, um, Mm -hmm. said, hey, look, this isn't the space, you know, for me to be playing, but I will make sure to share your stuff, retweet your stuff, comment, and continue this dialogue. And so last year really took off. um, And then I thought I was done with it. Like, I really did. I was like, all right, well, I did this. I got my mojo back. I'm writing on a regular again. This is wonderful. And then October, November of 2017 rolled around, and everybody starts going, "Well, what are we going to do for for 2018? Are we bringing the challenge back? Are we doing new topics? When's the calendar coming back?" And I was like, "Oh, um, I guess I'm doing this again." Um, and so then, you know, same process. I went back to to my original two people, and we sat down and talked about how we wanted to to do it differently. And I decided. You know, diversity and inclusion and and all those topics, if we really want to make lasting change, it's got to be stuff that we talk about on the regular. So I I expanded it. And instead of doing a a 28 day challenge over the course of Black History Month, I said, I'm going to do 16 weeks. So we started at the end of January and um, now I have a weekly topic and uh, that'll go through the beginning of May. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I can get into celebrating my seventh anniversary and uh, writing about other stuff. So,
1: Well, interesting. What are some of the topics that either last year or this year are kind of on the calendar to write about for Black Blogs Matter?
0: Um, we talked about, I think one of the, for me, what ended up being one of the most controversial posts was um, about the fragility of white privilege. Um, that one always sparks a lot of conversation, and um, but this week's post is about microaggression and how we deal with that in our workplaces. Um, we've got some posts coming up about um, centering minority voices and shifting the minority mindset. So um, the topics I think this year are a little bit more heavy. It's it's really challenged me to stretch my voice. Um, in a different direction. And like I said, you know, diversity and inclusion is not something that I feel is my like strong suit, my primary um focus area. So I've had to read a lot um, quickly to mm-hmm. try to get myself up to speed. Because once you start talking about this stuff, people will assume and and classify you as, as a subject matter expert. And suddenly now, you know, your voice carries a different kind of weight so I wanted to to make sure that I rose into that appropriately, so that you know I'm speaking from a, a an informed perspective, and uh, that really meant a lot. A lot of reading and challenging of myself and stuff. I learned some things that I that I didn't uh, didn't know about before. Confirmed some things that I already knew. Changed some stuff, you know, that I had thought previously, and um, and I've talked about all of that through through my posts on my blog and on social media, primarily Twitter, because that's the space for me that lends itself most easily to sharing that kind of stuff. Um, And for the listeners, you can find me at the buzz on HR on all of those things. The buzz on com is my blog. And um, you can find me from there on Instagram and Twitter and all of that. If you want to connect and see what those, what the content is.
1: So you mentioned that you have had to and continue to, you know, have to educate yourself, what are some of the resources that you're using to, to learn more about these topics so that you can write from an informed perspective?
0: I generally start with Google. Um, and I know, I know that sounds so simplistic, but I generally do um, start with Google. I'm amassing um, a list of books and I'll, I'll share that with you for, because um, off the top of my head, names are not coming to me but I will share that with you for your um, show notes so that mm-hmm. the listeners can see that but uh, you know I'm amassing books that I can can read on that but honestly I you know I start with Google and I try to delve into you know not just the headlines but I'm like a, a third and fourth and fifth page kind of person on Google I want to see what because that's where the the views start to take a twist um, but you will you tend to to find some some nuggets you know in in the later, things um, and not necessarily the main voices. Like I know when I was researching on a uh, microaggression here recently, there was a lot Forbes had an article and um, fast company, you know, had articles on there, but then I, I flipped a few pages into Google and I found um, a couple of other bloggers that um, son of Baldwin has, has quickly become, one of my favorites he's not writing right now because he's working on a book so he's taking a sabbatical from social media and I'm like come back (laughs) but um so you know uh, you start to find voices that are just not as well known as and popular when when you delve a little bit deeper and that's been that's been nice and so I just read and and consume stuff and then apply that to my own experiences and what I believe to be true and -hmm. adjust Myself, you know, accordingly as I go.
1: So, is the is the point or the purpose, like you mentioned, white privilege being one of the controversial uh, topics? So, are all of you writing from your perspective as a person of color about white privilege, or how what's the viewpoint on on the posts and and how you're attacking these topics?
0: Typically, I am starting from my own perspective all the time. And I encourage pretty much everybody to do the same. What's important for me, for people to know and learn and understand is that um, minority people, which I don't like that word, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, you know, people who are not white <laughs> is probably a good, <laughs> a good um, alternative to it have the same diversity of thought and experience um, and perspective as white people do. And so what I think I've at, at times, I feel like it's shared by a, a lot of other people, but I also know that there are tons of people out there who don't think the way that I think, and I want them to have the opportunity to have their voices be heard as well. So I want everybody to come from a space of, of, this is my experience, and that has led me to to hold these beliefs and these thoughts about the subject. At the end of it, though, I really do want there to be some practical advice to whoever the audience is. Um, if you're speaking to white people, what what are you telling them about how they can do this better? If you're not speaking to them, you know, then whoever it is you are speaking to—black women, black men, you know, other people of color, whatever. Um, what is your advice to them about how you know to do this better? How to think differently? How to approach this differently so that there's always an action, um, and that the action doesn't seem overwhelming to um, that individual? Because if if I overwhelm you with all of these action steps of things that you have to do, just like in any other facet, you you're going to tune out. Um, mm-hmm if I make it seem like it's, it's, it's insurmountable, you know, for you to achieve it, then you're going to tune out. And it's hard at times to balance that because you don't want to coddle people. Yeah. In in their, um in their privilege, for lack of a better word, you don't want to make it seem like the behavior is okay. Um, You know, it's, it's okay that you don't understand these things. It is, but it's not like at the you know on the one hand i understand that your life experiences don't always expose you to stuff you and i were talking about that in pre show and um however once you are exposed then and you're aware of it you got to do the work and you can't put it on this this already oppressed and burdened person <laughs> to you know become your encyclopedia of all things woke like that's that's not how it's supposed to work you've got to take the responsibility yourself for your own awakening and and say what are some resources just like you did what are some resources that that I can use to better educate myself and challenge myself you know in these areas um and there's so many people who are just unwilling to do that um and that's still coming up in the challenge. Next week's post is "is don't be the one black friend. <laughs> so again, some of them, you know, I know some of them make people very uncomfortable, but, um, you know, th- that's been our approach to diversity in a lot of, of arenas. I got one woman on the team. Or I got one black person or one Indian person on the team. Look at how diverse we are. And it's like plantations were diverse. Like this is, that's not what this is about. <laughs> like you got to do more than that, than just putting, you um, people who look different in a space and calling it diversity like that's not how it's supposed to to work so you've got to you know become more aware and be willing to to do the work to educate yourself challenge your assumptions um and do things differently if you're wanting to see see stuff move forward and see yourself you know feel more comfortable in these topics and i hope that the things that I'm writing um, sparks thoughts and gives people some, some tips that they can start with to, to work on those things. That's really um, what I desire for everybody to walk away with this, um, is to create a sense of awareness and create dialogue. People of color and women are talking about these topics all the time. There's rarely a moment where I am with my friends, with my family, with other professionals where we are not talking about current events, what's going on in the the, the news, um, what we're experiencing in, in our work and in our lives from a, a gender microaggression, racial microaggression standpoint, um, and, and the difficulties that we face and how we overcome that. I had a, a seminar uh, thing that was emailed to me the other day, an invitation about, Women in the workplace communicating with more assertiveness, and I cringe. <laughs> because on the like, on the one hand, I can't even believe we're still talking about this. Like, can we stop educating women on how to communicate with assertiveness? I'm pretty sure we don't even need that education anymore. I'm pretty sure that we've been known how to be, you know, <laughs> effective communicators with assertiveness what I'm just as sure is happening is that there's not receipt that our our assertiveness is translated into something different because just like there's white privilege fragility from there's also male privilege and so the way that they receive our assertiveness comes off as as something else and we get called b words and c words and all other kinds of words and dismissed um and so we're not the ones that need this training and we got to start being honest about the fact that that's true and putting it on the person with the with the prov- with the privilege with the with the power position to do their work to center the right voices to check their privilege to stop their ego to make real space, you know, for these these individuals, whether that is a person of color or whether that's a woman or a person with a disability or someone who's homosexual or someone who's transgender, whatever it is, it's it's not on them to help you figure this thing out. It's on you to check yourself and and to do the work to make sure that this person has the same opportunity that you have to succeed in
1: advance. Mm-hmm. yeah I was at a conference this past week where uh Tarana Burke who uh, was kind of one of the i guess the founder of kind of that me too movement the hashtag and having people speak out and and one of the things that she mentioned during the uh, panel discussion that she was on about that topic was around that privilege does exist, and the important thing is that we who have it what you know and as you you mentioned there are all kinds of different quote privilege um that you recognize that you have it and that you use it to help disadvantaged people Mm -hmm. move forward. So it's, it's not enough to just say, you know, well, I I'm sorry, I grew up this way, but you need to reach out to the disadvantaged people and try to help them move up. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and saying, you know, this is, I was raised this way. This is not something that comes naturally to me. I don't understand, but I'm going to do what's necessary to become more aware and more understanding, so that I can effectively help people. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very easy to dismiss the notion and say, you know, well, I didn't grow up this way. But you've grown now. Like, can you can you do better now? You can make a, a a new choice, a different choice. And and I think it's it's imperative, you know, for us to be able to do that. I marvel at the kids from Parkland and and the whole movement that they have started. Um, Kids, this this next generation is so unafraid, you know, to address um, this kind of stuff that that I think there's there's something there that we as as the older generations have to pay attention to. We can't just pawn it off on them and be like, "Great teenagers, you got this!" Like we don't still have, you know, our own work to do. Um, I think we got to look at that and say, hmm, you know, this is an energy that that we can learn something from, you know, and start to model. Um, I did a career day at my son's middle school, which um, to talk about being a blogger and somebody who has a large social media following. And um, I was really fascinated by the questions, you know, that the kids had. But at one point, I wasn't getting a lot of questions. And so I I said, you know, I asked, I started asking them questions, like, why did you decide to Attend this session and what kind of things do you do on social media? And one little girl raises her hand and says to me, I'm adopted and I'm trying to find my birth mother. And I thought it would be really cool to start a blog to see, to talk about my journey and in finding her. And I hope that somebody will read it and then help me find her. But if not, then at least my journey will be documented and other people can read it and be encouraged. And I think that would be really cool. And I was like, whoa, like she's 12 with that willingness to just be open and honest and vulnerable about what's going on with her. And with the thought in mind that even if I don't accomplish what I want to accomplish, my words can help somebody else. Like if we could take that and bottle that, Oh man, you know how much cool stuff are we going to be able to do to create a, just an authentic and and open and 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 inclusive future? I I was just blown away. So, you know, I think that um there's a lot there for us to latch on to and for us to learn. You know about that. Um, I I listen to my daughter has such a diverse group of friends. She's 11, and I listen to them talk, and they're so open just about everything and so I'm like man like if we could find a way to, to mimic that with our you know old ways from from the that we learned in the 80s and 90s about how to function socially if we could take some of that and and apply it and you know give ourselves that same sense of openness I think we would start to have dialogues that were way more productive in accomplishing what we want um, than what than how we're doing it right now.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned like the, the kids from Parkland and obviously anybody who has stepped forward, even, you know, Toronto Burke and the people who stepped forward, the Me Too movement, there's, there's often, um, uh, maybe not equal, but there's certainly a lot of criticism of their voices and of their perspective of them speaking out. So you've been writing about diversity and inclusion, which can be a a lightning rod topic, but with Black Blogs Matter and really diving into and challenging yourself to have a, a point of view on some really kind of, um, I don't know, we call them controversial, but topics where people pick a side. Mm-hmm. So h- have you experienced um, anyone where you've You've uh, you think you've helped them to change their perspective on an idea or an issue that that maybe they engaged with you originally, kind of confrontationally, and and through your comment section or social media posts or maybe offline conversations, you've been able to kind of um, both come to a better understanding of each other's perspectives.
0: Yeah. Offline conversations is I think where that happens. It is really, really difficult. I would argue to say impossible to try to, to change minds and hearts in you know, the comment section of any website it just does not lend itself to you know people add tone that doesn't exist and and all sorts of stuff that just isn't even there because you're you're looking to debate with the individual and to one-up them because it's a a public forum so you don't want to look stupid because you say something and then they clap back and then you're you know, you got to come back even harder. So it turns into a rap battle, you know, almost, and that's not good. Um, but I think that that the offline place is the place where those, those conversations have to occur. It's why it's so important for, you know, you to cultivate diverse friendships um, so that you do have safe space to have those conversations. It is not, you know, I recognize that as a as a white woman, it's not easy for you to have these conversations. You've got to have relationships with people that are going to, to sit down, indulge your curiosities, indulge your ignorances and let you have a safe space to, to ask questions, to say things that may not necessarily be right and to talk through that with you with understanding and love. You can't do that in the comment section on Facebook. Like it's not happening. You know, even if, if it's a person that you, you love and know and respect, it's just not the venue, you know, to make that happen. So I appreciate people who will send me, you know, direct messages, slide in the DMs, you know, and ask me a question <laughs> and and let's let's talk privately, whether that's um, just through email or or um, or on the phone, and let you know talk through that. So I've had quite a few conversations um, that have led to that, and I'm and those are the the conversations I'm really grateful for. Um, and I do think in those moments that I've, I've said things that is, has caused someone to think about stuff differently, um, and to approach the topic differently. But at the end of it, I always say, you know, I do not speak for all black people. I do not speak for all women. Um, this is my perspective. And I really encourage you to um, continue, you know, to learn and to create relationships that will allow you to have these conversations, because I promise you, Black people, women, you know, other minorities are talking about this on the regular. You know, if if white people and men studied people of color and women the way that we have been forced to study them, what a different world you know that we we would have. Um, and I think we have way too many missteps because there's there's an attitude that you know I don't have to you know I don't have to figure this thing out. Um, but yeah, you do. If if inclusion and Having an you know an understanding of this perspective is something that that you value and that you want to make happen in in your world and in your work. Mm-hmm. yeah, you do. you got to study the thing. so I think the more that that happens, you know the better it will be. But you gotta have safe spaces to have those uncomfortable conversations. Um, I like to think of myself as a safe space, but I also know that I don't have the relationships with everybody to be able to make that happen. You gotta understand people's backgrounds and, you know, and where they come from and that requires a a a relationship and a sense of vulnerability than not you can't always achieve, you know, on Twitter. It takes conversations in the, you know, in the private space, you know, to make that happen. So I like to think of myself as as being that resource. And I, I think that I've helped to open some people's eyes and to have them look at stuff in different ways because of the writing that mm-hmm. I've done and the conversations that have come out of it. Um, But I also know that, you know, I can't do that alone. And then I can't be, you know, the sole voice. So I encourage, you know, everyone to create those relationships, find your tribe of people and um, make sure that they, they include people who are, are different from you in, in their background and upbringing and their race and their gender and talk Openly with those individuals about what is going on in the world, what you're observing and experiences have been, what their observations and experiences have been, because that's the way for us to achieve the understanding that we want and
1: need mm-hmm well, I think you know it's it's such an inter- interesting would be one way to describe the times that we live in you know mm-hmm. i i do i love the story that you shared about the young girl who's wanting to kind of like share her experience with the intent of it helping someone else as in addition to herself so that's that's a young impact maker right there mm-hmm. um but it, you know at the same time there's so much um you know new and well maybe not new but maybe we talk about a lot of things more today that are are so disappointing in some ways, and and at the end of the day, it's just hope that we can all get there. But as you said, learning from each other. Uh, mm-hmm. being willing and open to learning from each other, and also doing our own research. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the point that you made about having a diverse group of people that you can have those conversations with and get vulnerable with is really important. That It's one thing to read a lot of information or to have bloggers or writers or books that you learn from, but to really be able to talk some of that stuff out, I think, is is where you're going to Uh, find your own space in that issue so absolutely so obviously you're making an impact or you know I I consider you a person I I appreciate the perspective that you share but who maybe can you think of that has had an impact on your life you know that might be your professional life your personal life um and and what was that and how has that occurred
0: oh wow um sheesh there are so many, um, I you know I always start with my parents because um, obviously everybody's parents you know do that. Um, but I think that my mom was a human resources professional, mm-hmm. and I and I was that weird kid who every day was go to work with mom day. Um, talk about flexible workspaces. You know, if I'm on spring break, I'm in the office. You know, with her. Um, I went to grad school with my mom because my dad worked um, evening hours. And so um, leaving me home, you know, with my sister wasn't wasn't going to work. She was old enough to stay by herself. I wasn't old enough to stay with her. So, you know, I've got a backpack with crayons and coloring books, and she's got a backpack with textbooks. And I got a snack, and I'm sitting in, you know, grad school classes. And then that trickled into me going to work with her um, and I made copies and like I was like her own little personal assistant but I listened and I I gained so much about what it means to be a woman in the workplace you know from observing her and so I'd like to think I I know you know that she's still my biggest influence as far as that goes because I just gathered so much from watching her and how she operated and you talk about the 80s when being a person of color and being a woman in the workplace like you know the big shoulder pad 80s <laughs> so you know it was a completely different thing to watch someone rise through um the and she worked in county government so there's a whole political element to um, how all of that works and to watch someone rise through that from, from an entry-level caseworker to running, you know, uh, uh, the welfare department of one of the largest counties in, in the nation. And, um, you know, just watching her go through that and and navigate those things, I, I just sucked in, you know, so much of that. Um, So that was a really, really big influencer for me. I will say another person Uh, Yeah, I talked about being an introvert. I was the I was the kid that like didn't talk like I, I had no speech problems, but I just was very, very introverted. I was good. I could sit all day long and not speak. And my parents were smart enough to recognize that I couldn't go through life like that. So they put me in acting classes. When I was about seven years old, just to teach me how to, um, you know, better express myself and to feel more comfortable in front. Because, I mean, I would, you know, someone would come up to me in church and say hello and I would just cry. Like I was so socially awkward and just not wanting to deal with people. So they put me in acting and, and dancing classes. I'm one of those black people who do not have natural sense of rhythm. I had to be taught. So I took 12 years of of um, jazz and lyrical in order to develop the sense of rhythm. And I, I say now I don't have natural rhythm, but I can perform some choreography. OK, <laughs> so you, you give me a boom pack and I'm on it. Um, but I definitely do not have natural sense of rhythm. But, um, you know, so I did that. And Marie Foster, um, who was my acting coach from the time I was seven, until I graduated high school, um, and just pushed me and and taught me how to, you know, find my voice and project, and um, to treat each awkward moment like it was a performance of sorts. And so, um, I look at when I have meetings, I'm how am I costuming myself? What is my character today? Because naturally. I will sit in the corner and not speak at all. Um, but if I if I give myself a story of who I am in that moment, then I can rise into the occasion. It's it's very it feels very otherworldly. But I don't know how I would make it through, make it through that you know otherwise. Um, so she was a huge you know influencer for me in my young life. Um, and I would say professionally, my very first boss, whose name is Kelly Boykin, she's still in staffing, uh, working for, for Acquint, um, out of Virginia. Um, but she modeled for me what modern work women look like. Cause Kelly was so fun and girly. And here we are going into these light industrial environments where, I mean, she, she was literally steel toes in a skirt. Okay. <laughs> um, but she never sacrificed her, her femininity to fit in. And people just responded to that authenticity so well. And um, and I was like, hmm, I can do that too. And then watching her as a mom, she was in her probably early 30s when we worked together 20 years ago. So she's a mom with three kids and she's juggling their activities and she's juggling, you know, a toddler and a school-aged kid and all the, the difficulties that that brings. And it was the first time that I saw someone do it, saw a woman do it in a way that was not sacrificing of her role as a mom. It was, she was serious about like, my son has baseball practice and I got to go. And not in that apologetic, I'm so sorry, like, no, this is just as important as this client meeting no, I'm not going to find someone else who can take him. I am his mother. I take him. And therefore we're going to have to have this meeting at another time. And I was like, hmm. so I've, you know, I've taken that and applied that. Cause I'm, I'm, I have two children of my own. I have three stepchildren. We're a blended family. I, I you know, I readily say I have five kids and, You know, my husband and I have to figure out how we get everybody to and from and keep them covered. And so, you know, I've channeled my inner Kelly many, many times and just said, nope, we got gymnastics today. I'm not going to be able to make that meeting happen and to do it in a way that is is just unapologetic about, you know, this is my space. So that I'd I'd never seen that modeled before. I'd watch my mom say, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make this PTA meeting because I've got a meeting at work. And in in that time and space where she worked, it just wasn't possible. But um, but that hasn't been true, you know. And and we've watched the world of work evolve. And it was work flex before Workflex was a thing. Yeah. So that's been a huge thing. And I think you know most recently, I would would cite Cy Wakeman as as one of my mentors and and people that I I just love. Um, she and I have. Have developed such a great friendship, and I always marvel. Like here's this, you know, phenom in in. She's a best-selling author and and just a complete force, you know, in um in the world of leadership um and and everything that she does and that I get to talk with her, you know, intimately about all kinds of stuff just amazes me every single time. But she's a fantastic person, and has always been a great resource and inspiration from me. So, mm-hmm. so those folks combine together.
1: That's a great, I love the the kind of progression of people who have impacted your life at the different parts of your journey. Well, to kind of wrap this up, like you mentioned, the writing that you do, you always try to kind of leave some practical application for people who are reading about the topics that you're writing about. And, and certainly we have uh, daily issues in the workplace and in the world, as you said, that people bring into the workplace Is there maybe one piece of advice that you can give, not just for HR leaders, but leaders and or people in general in the business world, how do we kind of move forward and make some progress on uh, respecting each other, uh, no matter where you come from or what your background or your privilege is in the workplace? Is there maybe something, one or two things you could say we should do?
0: In in work, I think if you can give people the professional benefit of the doubt to know that they want to be there and that they're trying their best. If you can come to any conversation, any conflict or whatever with that in the forefront of your mind, then I think you can find a solution for just about any problem. Everybody wants to work we got to work to live, but we also work to be fulfilled. People, you know, choose careers and choose jobs because it it gives them a sense of fulfillment. And if you accept that as true and you believe that they're coming, doing the best that they can or the best that they know in that moment, then you should be able to meet them where they are and help get them to the next place without too much difficulty. Um, Because now you, you, accept them and respect them and, you know, understand and, and give them and just, you know, honor the space, you know, that they're coming into. So I think that, you know, starts with it. Um, I think the second piece of advice that I would give in today's day and age is to be flexible. Um, work, I think technology has caused work and personal to blend in a way that it it never did before. We, we, I can remember like when, when I first started in the social media space, how we used to joke about like pro personal and per personal and blending like professional and personal into one word, but it's so true now. Um, And so, you know, recognizing that those two things do bleed over into one another more readily than they did at any other time in our lives. And it's probably going to continue in that direction. I don't see the two of them, them separating again. And so knowing that that's real, um, first of all, recognizing that people have personal lives and creating space for them to be able to feel like they can, can have their life and their family and in whatever way that means i I had a, a woman on my team she didn't have children she had a dog and when she loved her dog and um you know doctor's appointments for the dog birthday party for the dog um there was she was serious about her dog that was her baby and i can remember um you know her supervisor being frustrated because you know she would have to leave and do something with the dog if she had to leave and do something with her kid, we wouldn't be mad. Why are we mad? Because she chose to have a fur baby. Like, can we just roll with it? Is her work done? Are there, are we having any other problems? Are we just mad because it's different? Don't get mad at people for being different. Let people be who they are and show up. And if they're showing up and they're giving you them, their best self, give them the time off they need to do the things that they have deemed important in their life. Um, So I think, you know, that that is very, very important and educating yourself on the issues that are going on in the world, understanding, you know, your um, employee population. Um, when you have a diverse employee population, what are the issues that are going to come up and being prepared for that? And, and coaching people, you know, along their line, those lines, taking them by the hands, taking them by both hands and leading them down a, a path to make them more understanding managers. Um, because that, at the end of the day, the people who manage people, you know, is is the representation of, of what your organization really isn't about. And if you can make sure that those individuals are understanding, kind, balanced, perspective, um, inclusive individuals, then you should be okay. Um, but if you're not focusing on, on their development and their understanding and knowing, you, you're missing the boat and you're really leaving yourself at risk not just for lawsuits and stuff, but just for people to come to work and be unhappy, like who wants to to sit somewhere for eight hours and be miserable and feel misunderstood, unappreciated underdeveloped and all you know all those other bad words like that that can't be you know what we set out and create organizations for so. That would be, you know, the advice that that I would give um, to any organization is is figure out how to do those things, Mm -hmm. how to to teach your managers to give people the professional benefit of the doubt, be flexible and be inclusive um, in there, in the things they say and in the things that they do and, and how they approach problem solving.
1: that's fantastic advice and thank you for sharing that and thank you for stepping out way back in 2011 and continuing to put yourself out there and help um kind of help other people like myself along the journey and i appreciate your viewpoints that you share and thanks for being here with me today sarah thank you so much for
0: having me i this is great thank you again it's time for you to get noticed create change and grow your influence